Welcome back, everyone, to the Chip Lunch Podcast. It is fantastic to have you along with us, as always, and uh, a little bit different. Why, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> Peter and I are both like, oh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I like to do that. I like to surprise people by starting There's an audience. <laughs> so, yes, there are two other people joining me on this podcast today. Joel Revival, as we like to call it. Uh, Amanda is Hello. joining us as a guest co-host. Welcome. Thank you. It's uh, nice to be back. It is nice. It's nice to have you on here. And uh, you usually come on, like, there was the first one we came on was your chip punch, and then you usually come on with an agenda. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that what you're planning today? No. No I agenda. You did have something. Just didn't you have beef to deal with? Perhaps with your husband? Yeah, but <laughs> that doesn't need to come up. Oh, it's just today. In, oh, doesn't it? Okay. You, mean, want, a sep- you want a separate podcast <laughs> on your own. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I feel like. That's, that's this. I'm here to host. I'm not here to. Oh, okay. You know. Cool. Mm. Well, welcome. But just so everyone knows, there is beef. There is beef with your husband. That we will uncover at some point. Oh, podcast beef. Sometimes. Podcast beef. Welcome uh, to you, Pete. On, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes people like to come on here. Something gets recorded and put out there. And then people get upset about what's been said on the podcast, so they have to come on the podcast to have their right of rebuttal. And Amanda seems to have an issue with the proposal story that her, that her husband said on a couple of episodes ago. So that's what I'm he referring to. He got it to. all wrong. He got it. Was, was it completely wrong? <laughs> Not completely wrong, but a few of the details were wrong. Wow. So at some point that'll come out. I look forward to hearing that. <laughs> a few of the details that were really focused on, I was like, that didn't even happen. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. And is he convinced they did? Seems to be. Yeah. If he put, it, if he put it on tape, as we yeah. like to say. Anyway. Okay. What's like one nothing thing? big. Can hardly nothing wait. Nothing concerning. <laughs> the tension. Just, you know. Anyway. Mm. Mm. Anyway, Pete is the Yes, Pete's is the, the guest. focus of today. So. Guest co-host. Stop talking about yourself. <laughs> I could co-host if you like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we might need to get you and Zach on for a counselling session. Maybe, Maybe we do yeah, that. Yeah. That might work. Uh, yes, welcome on to the, the podcast, Pete. Thank you for coming. You've come all the way from... A far-flung area of the Shire, Main Bar. Yeah, people say that, but it's, I know people that travel in the Sydney area travel a lot further than we do. It's kind mm. of about half an hour to get here. Yeah, okay. Mm. That's not too bad. Which is, yeah, and it's a beautiful driveway. It is Drive, beautiful. Dri- did you say driveway? driveway? Yeah, we see it as our driveway. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, that's a long driveway. It's a nice but I way to view it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, yeah, it is a it good is, way to view yeah, it. It's, uh, it. even has a water crossing. At, it does. At Audley. Uh, well, you can't always cross. Yes. It, sometimes it's flooded and you have to go around the long way. That would be annoying. And on one occasion since we've been there, that was flooded. That was blocked as well because the road had gone and we had to go right round through uh, Helensburg. Oh, right. Mm. On one occasion, a year or two ago. We've only lived there for just under two years. Oh, have you? You yeah. lived there recently? Yep. And you said you, you're doing uh, building work there as well. We are. We rebuilt the house, so we were actually using it as a holiday house. And I oh know we were going there for a couple of days a week, and my son was living there with his uh, partner and uh, one one child at the time. And um, we'd go out there for a couple of nights, and then we rebuilt it, and it was building site for a year. Mm-hmm. And then we moved out, and it, the front yard is still a building site. Oh, is it? 
Yeah, we're building a pool, and it was it a lot be of concreting. Yeah, to fit a pool in there. There's a pool, seven. Well, not a very big pool. Seven four by three six. Okay. Okay. My wife like wants a plunge pool. My wife, yeah, bigger than a plunge pool. Probably bigger than a plunge okay. pool, but plunge bigger pool than for couples. Only a plunge pool if you dive off the front veranda, which my wife, <laughs> my wife is worried about. <laughs> she like th- she thinks there are some some silly people in the family. Oh, I thought she was worried that you'll do it. I said there are some silly people <laughs> in the family. Silly or her. fun? I didn't say who they weren't. <laughs> Have you seen those inter- those videos on Instagram where people like get out of bed and then just jump off a gi- gigantic high? platform into a pool or into like off rocks into I think I've sounds vaguely familiar yeah. so that's your inspiration uh, I I admit nothing but uh, <laughs> the pool is actually being filled today oh is it oh wow yeah we can't use it yet but so when you get home today do you reckon it's going to be ready for you to jump in no but it might be tomorrow morning but we're not allowed to jump in it yet it's got to be uh, chemicalized and checked and officially handed over to us yes certified I believe the word Certified is. is the technical word, yeah. Mm. Yep. Cool. Well, as I said, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Amanda, would you want your guest co-host? you want to ask the first question? Oh, I'd love to oh. ask the first question. <laughs> Peter, how do you like your hot chips? Mm. Oh, how do I like my hot <laughs> chips? Well, I, I just uh, usually salt and I don't mind a bit of vinegar. Oh, see, we've had a lot of people mm. with vinegar. I will have it with tomato sauce, but, but um, mm-hmm. yeah... Uh, either way, hmm. I don't mind a bit of tomato sauce, but salt and vinegar, salt and just plain salt or chicken salt. Ooh, oh, both. And maybe, well, either. I uh, either, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and vinegar's all right. Bit of vinegar. Mm. Vinegar from the shop or vinegar from home? This is what I always wonder. I think it's usually from the shop because, no, I don't think I ever put vinegar on chips when we have them at okay. home, which we do quite often. So I had I was thinking of buying them. Mm. Um, at home, I would just have them with salt and no tomato sauce or probably no sauce. Mm. Do you have chicken, your own chicken salt at home? Or you just... Um, I don't think we do, no. Yeah, it's a good move. There's a huge battle on this podcast between me and Brayden and Ethan who prefer, they both prefer chicken salt and I prefer salt. And Sandy, to her credit, has tallied up everyone who cho- chose what and chicken salt is still winning at the moment, unfortunately. Okay. I believe Manda's chicken salt. I am chicken salt. I'm, I'm either way. Mm. I feel like you're a man of the classics. <laughs> <laughs> Joel would like you to be a man. Oh, of the classic. Oh, well, I say salt is classic. And you're, I you're, trying to, you're trying me to come down on the on the no chicken salt side. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm trying to convince you. He's but suggesting like, that no plain salt is for classy people. I it think. is also, as I said, I think on a few episodes ago. Is this a status thing? Is it? Plain, <laughs> oh, plain salt was made by God. Chicken salt was made by man. You did say that. <laughs> Okay. You can't argue with that, can you? No, you can't. That's no, right. That's, that's going to swing a few people yeah, when they come on the podcast. Right. <laughs> I better look like a good Christian. I'm so godly. Salt. Plain salt. Plain salt. Plain salt. <laughs> Where yes. do you get your chips from, Yeah, Peter? Great question. Do you have a favourite spot? Mm, no. Okay. Does Main Bar do I mean, chips? occasionally I, have, I buy fish and chips. Not very often when I'm 
out and I need some lunch or something. Mm. Not often, but um, I would probably have chicken salt when I did that. But we don't have chicken salt at home. And we have chips quite regularly, sometimes air fried, sometimes baked in the oven, wedgies. So variety is the spice of life. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so different, but so potato different ways, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I had the other day, I had like, I don't know what it was called, Wagyu fat chips, and it's like really thin, like slices of potato, but like compressed together and then cooked in like a big rectangle, and you would cut it up. That was an interesting way of presenting potatoes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we 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 have potatoes in lots of different ways. One <laughs> way is to microwave them and then squash them and then put them in the oven with some, so they sort of then get baked. And oh. with, uh, and, so like uh, mash them a uh, bit. I mean, I like sour cream on my potatoes. Ooh. Is that allowed? Oh, yes. It's, well, it's allowed. Is that, yeah. Yes. And, and salt as well. Yes, salt. If, if salt's there, it's, everything's fine. And I wouldn't put chicken salt on my yeah, that's sour right. cream. Not with the sour cream, no. No, no. no. you wouldn't at any time. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think we talked about this a while ago. I feel like chicken salt on hot chips, but if you're having chips on the side of your meal... If you have steak and veggies and chips, yeah, probably go the plain salt. I wouldn't. Yeah, that that that's me. Yeah, but chicken salt on it. Like when you having like chips if on you're just side, having chips on their yeah. own. Yeah. It, the only time I have chicken salt is when I occasionally have fish and chips, mm. which is once about once a year or something. Or once, once a year, maybe once or twice a year. Okay, mm. that I buy it in a chicken and chip shop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do love fish and chips. But anyway, we can we can move on from that. <laughs> Any particular? Here's a question. Uh, we uh, we say there's only one question about hot chips, but we've had about four. So, like, question one D. <laughs> do you? Is there a particular memory you have with hot chips? A lot. A lot of people have memories with their grandparents for some reason. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> next question. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Next question. Go on, man. Next question. Is it the big one? Yeah, like but there's only three. It's not one E. It's question two. No, yeah, two. it's a question two. <laughs> question two. <laughs> question two A. <laughs> That's the one you warned me about. Oh, you warned me about all of them. <laughs> the but, the yeah. big one. The big one. <laughs> <laughs> How did you become a Christian, Peter? I became a Christian at the age of 40. Uh, prior to that, I had become quite a uh, anti I was not just a non Christian, I was an anti Christian. I thought it was, I thought I was clever. Um, I became an, an atheist and started sort of taking an interest in philosophy when I was about 12 or 13. Wow. And I uh, read a few authors like Bertrand Russell and others and really became an atheist slash agnostic in my very early teens, mm-hmm. even preteen. Um, did go to a Christian school, mm. so learnt the... Learnt the uh, Bible stories and the uh, Anglican prayer book and things like that. So I was, and my family went to, ch- we were not C and D, which is Christmas and Easter. Mm-hmm. We were, um, Church of England. You know, we were uh, B, B, M, and, and F. Um, 
baptism, marriage, and funeral. Oh, so oh. even less. Even yeah, less. Even less, right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, did go occasionally, but and but went to school chapel school. and things like that. So I uh, spent most of my life early, but I was a seeker. I was what in the 60s we're talking about here, many yeah. decades ago. Um, I was a seeker slash hedonist, so I'd spent my life sort of very selfishly living for pleasure for myself and at the same time as a spiritual seeker and I followed a lot of different, I did a lot of uh, spiritual sort of seeking. Um, I can Is tell you what the, if what I can tell you what, what I did if you're really interested. I'm just, I'm curious about at the age of 12 or 13, like, is that what was driving you at that age as well, that spiritual seeking? And that I would say so, yes. Yeah. I st- studied philosophy at university, my mm. first degree, but when I was in about, I got sick of philosophy and just sort of finished it. I started reading books on spirituality uh, more, particularly Hinduism and things like that. Mm. So I'd go to the library and when I wasn't playing pool and things like that, which is what you did at university in the 60s, not so much now, but it was... a just kind of automatic thing you went to and I did a degree in philosophy because that's what interested me and um, much less vocation driven and uh, then I I mean I did the back in those days the Beatles and everyone were doing the Maharishi Yogi Mm. kind of thing I did that kind of thing for quite a while Um, explored uh, a number of different paths of religion um, including uh, one of the ones that people are familiar with is the uh, Mevlevi Dervish, the Whirling Dervishes. Mm-hmm. So I was a Whirling Dervish. You were? I was, yes. Wow. wow. The Sema, as it's called. So I trained for six months in, uh, in under Jaladin, uh, the Sheikh Jaladin Dedi and his father, who was the Grand Sheikh, conducted the Sema that I did. Of only, only did one. So that was the sort of thing that I was... Seeking mostly when you're on a spiritual path like that, you're seeking experiences, mm. or you're seeking power. And then I started uh, studying someone called Gurdjieff. Who you can heard of Gurdjieff? Mm. Oh, you have, have you? The Fourth Way. <laughs> you saying you have or you haven't? Yeah. Okay. The Fourth Way. I Traditionally, yeah, I mean, we can move on to Christianity <laughs> no, no, as soon as you, no, 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 you, really you really like. Gurdjieff uh, taught. Um, that there were three ways of spiritual ways: the way of the, um, the way of the uh, Sufi, which was the way of the mind; the way of the Fakir, which was the way of the body, lying on nails and things oh, like that, bed of okay, nails yeah. and things, yeah. and the uh, and the way of the monk, which was the way of of love. And he said the fourth way was a combination of all of those kind of things. So. Uh, when I was at uh, Gurdjieffian, we did a lot of spiritual exercises, including sensing, when you consciously sense, because he maintained that we're all asleep and you're aiming for a higher form of consciousness. And um, breathing exercises, so you're consciously kind of breathing. We do. Uh, at one time, I was fasting like a Pharisee. I was fasting uh, 36-hour fast twice a, twice a week. For several years I fasted once a week for 36 hours kind of thing. These were all things that were to, intended to raise your um, level of consciousness mm. and also your 
empower you, strengthen your spirit. So, did you feel that way? You're doing it. Um, that would move on to when I became a Christian, and uh, I got <laughs> I got tired of that. It started to look. Uh, it started to. Um, I went and did a course on it overseas for a kind of year. Lived on a in a community for a kind of year. There was um, where, sorry to interrupt you, but where was that? That was in West Virginia in the states. Okay, where there was a community that uh, consciously went to. But I was part of a group here before and kind of after as well. That um, and it was my kids always uh, tell us when Mum and I were in a sect together. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it it wasn't in the sense that we ever felt that we were kind of, you know, what happens when you're in a sect and you start to get under control of the mm. of the leader. I knew a few people had sort of tried to do that kind of thing, and um, but we never felt we were when there were there were, there were sort of rules that you were supposed to obey, but if you didn't, there were no consequences. Kind of thing. It was very much a never felt that I was doing anything that I didn't choose to do. Mm-hmm. And occasionally when that did happen, just said, thank you very much, not doing that. No, no, no thanks. No thanks. Yeah. So never felt, never felt as if it was kind of cultish in that kind of ever being dominated kind of mm. way. And my, my wife Lynn came along for the ride more. She was, she'd been raised as a, as a Christian, um, stopped going to church um, in her teens um, so she was raised in a Christian. Her dad wasn't a Christian. He became a Christian uh, a few days before he died. Actually, oh, really? That's another story. Yep. Um, write and, that down. Uh, for write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that might be a good point to move on to. When I was, uh, I'd got a bit, um, a bit tired of Gurdjieff and didn't feel that I was progressing in the kind of my idea of spiritual growth mm. to the extent that I thought I should have by all the fasting and things I was doing. And at the same time, I was still leading a fairly hedonistic life as well. I was sort of finding some way of balancing, balancing those, <laughs> those two things. <laughs> and um, <laughs> my wife came to me and said to me, um, I want to get the kids baptised. Okay. And I thought, oh, for crying out loud. Really? We left all that behind. Well, uh, I thought we'd left all that behind. We've been married for years, and now you want the kids baptized. I said, "Well, tell me when it's done." <laughs> and uh, all right, wow. you know. And uh, she as she went along and saw the minister of the Cronulla Church, mm-hmm. uh, and um, he said she wanted he wants to meet you. And I was um, had various principles of life that I went by, and one of them was happy wife, happy life. So I good one. <laughs> so you like listening? that one? Are you yeah. listening, Zach? It's not unpopular. Let's <laughs> get the story. It's, right. it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I went along and I met him, and he was very nice. And um, a guy called John Campbell at uh, the Anglican Church in uh, Cronulla, and uh, finished up. Um, getting the kids baptised, started going to church actually and uh, I used to go along to church and the kids, we had a number of kids and they were all enjoyed church and I went along on, I was working uh, long hours in those days, seven days a week, went to church uh, quite regularly 
um, in the morning and uh, fell asleep during the sermons. <laughs> I did, uh, sort of nodded off and things. Not and the, um, not the only one who's done that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done it myself, yeah, <laughs> since, even as a Christian. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> I'd heard the sermon in the morning <laughs> and then oh. I was listening to it again at night and it's sort of been right a long then. day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I briefly Let nodded off in the slide. back row. Have you done that? <laughs> Yeah. Not for a while. Not for a I while. Have done it. Yeah. yeah, that was both times. It was not the first time I'd heard the sermon. So mm. that's my excuse. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. I was uh, talking. They were talking about something called evangelism explosion, which was very popular back in the eighties in American, um, and it had uh, sounds dangerous. Um, <laughs> it, well, it was. It was. It was. The idea was. It does. But it, well, the idea was that it was came out of the states, and that was. One of the methods of evangelism, which was popular back in the 80s, mm. 1980s. And I was talking to the student minister who was at Moore College outside, and I said to him, I'm, uh, I'm not a Christian. In fact, I'm not even quite sure what a Christian is. Do I qualify for a visit? Because they've been talking about going around visiting people. And, uh, and he said, sure. His wife wasn't trained. He wasn't trained in it, but his wife was. And so they uh, eventually came along to, we invited them for dinner and they came. Uh, it took a lot, my, our wives were supposed to be sorting it out, but Lynn was, I found out much later, very nervous about, I'd said, invite them to dinner. And months later I'd say, how come we haven't had them to dinner yet? And I found out later that she was very nervous about having them to dinner. And they asked us what was called, after we'd had dinner, they asked us um, a couple of what were called diagnostic questions. If you were to die tonight, do you believe that God would let you into his heaven? And uh, the second one was, and if God asked you, why should I let you into my, my heaven, what would you say? And I thought, I was sitting there thinking, oh, that's a stupid question. Um, What's heaven, for goodness sake? I have absolutely no idea what that is. How can I answer a question like that? To me, it seemed meaningless. Mm. My wife, I said, yes, she was confident she'd get into heaven and I nearly fell off my seat uh, with surprise that she would say that. Then she said, when she was asked why, she said, uh, because I get emotional when I say this, um, because uh, Jesus died for my sins. And I really did nearly fall off my kind of seat. Uh, they didn't continue it any further because the, and I later trained in this process, um, if there was a divergence, if the people were in different places spiritually, you sort of didn't continue on kind mm. of thing. So I noticed after that evening, we were living in Como at the time and running some restaurants that we owned in the Shire, uh, and uh, she, um, <laughs> this is this is such a great podcast. <laughs> Please continue. This is turning out to be the longer version. I I can do a shorter version. No, no, I'm enjoying. <laughs> I'm enjoying. Good. But uh, yeah, tell me to move along. Um, I noticed a change in her, particularly that there was a peace about her, and a humility that I had never seen in her before. And I found myself actually envious of it. Mm. So for all the spiritual kind of stuff I'd kind of done, she had something that, that I'd been looking for and didn't have. Mm. And she just got it like that. Mm. 
And uh, it was a process of what I would call some six months because I was actually antagonistic to, to Christians. I would, I would um, enjoy trying to be clever with Christians and arguing with them and debating them and I was um, thinking that I was being very clever. And, uh, little did I know that one day I'd become one and <laughs> feel sorry for people like me <laughs> who, would, who would think they were being clever and baiting me and kind of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, Lynn, uh, yeah, and I would ask her questions and uh, for six months I was, I was wrestling with God, I would say. I was having sleepless nights. I was asking her questions um, and um, various other people uh, were God used to influence me. I had a young girl working for me whose name was uh, Wendy. She was a Christian surfer. She was a, a very popular young woman. She was one of the best workers that I knew. I th thought she was... Uh, and I said to her at one stage, and this was me being gentle, I, was, I said to her, Wendy, um, how come you've become a Christian at the age of 16? There are many great religions in the world. Do you know anything about any of the others? When you go into a restaurant, you orders, always order the first thing on the... On the, on the menu, fish and chips or <laughs> whatever it might be. And she said to me, uh, Peter, Jesus Christ is my best mate. That's made as much sense to me as someone saying, Napoleon and I are best friends. <laughs> <laughs> or Julius Caesar and I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It did. It, it made no sense to me. And yet she was a very um, intelligent and I thought very... Um, she wasn't a nutcase, um, other, than, other than in that. Later on, I read, <laughs> I read John 15, and where Jesus says, if you, uh, if you obey me, then uh, I no longer consider you servants but friends. And mm. so she was theologically expressing it in, in an Australian version, yep. Jesus Christ is my best mate, and I came to, uh, to understand that um, further down the track kind of thing. I was in the what was the Cronulla Workers' Club, uh, to shorten, there were a number of things. People, I was amazed when people that I um, met who would just, I'd be talking about things and they'd say, well, let's pray about that. And then they would start to talk to the creator of the universe uh, in an extremely relaxed and kind of natural kind of way at any time in any place. And I was, uh, I found that quite uh, stunning mm -hmm. to, to, that they, these seemingly sane people thought they could talk to the creator of the universe, which was, an, uh, I thought, a ridiculous thing to be doing, but otherwise these people seemed extremely, extremely sane. Mm. Uh, so a number of people were responsible for... for um, I should say that, I suppose. Um, at one stage I was lying awake at night, sometimes talking with my wife and I'd be driving and I'd actually stop the car because the conversation became for me so, so intense I couldn't drive and talk at the same time and I was having sleepless nights sort of thinking about how Jesus Christ could be Wendy's best mate and things like that, how people could talk to the creator of the universe like it was just there. Um, but I started to get this idea coming into my head that I was going to become a... a a pastor, wow. in fact, an Anglican pastor, and it was I was really um, and I spoke to my wife and uh, told her eventually about it. 
And she said, because it was troubling me. And I, said, and I went along and I saw the, the minister, John Campbell, at the Anglican Church. And um, I told him that uh, I'd come to see him because I had this thought going in my head I was going to become an Anglican minister, but I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> and I remember him going, oh. <laughs> mm, That's an interesting proposition. <laughs> right. Kind of thing. And what have we here? Kind of thing. <laughs> But as we talked more, at the end of the conversation, he said to me, would you like to come and visit me once a week? And he and I met once a week and we went through the Book of Romans together. Except when we were talking about other things, but basically we worked through the Book of Romans. And, and I was really struggling with God and sleepless nights and I finished up uh, going across to the Cronulla Workers Club where I, there was a gymnasium. It's been since destroyed. Um, <laughs> But there was a gymnasium there and I had a key to it, which a lot of people did. And I went in there it was, and uh, I knelt down uh, for about half an hour and, and prayed. And at the end of that prayer time, now I should say that I actually started to read the Bible and I started to think that the Bible was one of the most profound books that I'd ever read. I was sort of aware of the, of the stories of the Bible, mm. um, so I wasn't completely ignorant of it. But suddenly it started to have... Uh, deep, really touched me in my heart and my mind, the way which it never had before. Uh, and I really can remember thinking that, you know, I wouldn't mind being a Christian. Um, there are only two things I don't like about being a Christian. I do not want anyone to be my saviour, thank you very much. I want some credit for all of the fasting and things I've done mm. previously. Oh, right. yeah. And secondly, I certainly don't want anyone to be the Lord of my life. So apart from having Jesus Christ <laughs> as my Saviour and Lord, I thought Christianity could, you know... <laughs> we could make it work. We, we could make it work. There's <laughs> <laughs> still a couple of issues there. <laughs> a couple of issues. <laughs> only, only two, really. Uh, and I knelt down in the Cronulla Workers Club and, uh, and prayed. I was on my knees for about half an hour and right at the end of it, I sort of... Hard to describe it, but I kind of sort of said, oh, all right, uh, kind of thing. I, I kind of let go. And I s accepted Christ as my Lord and Saviour. And the moment that I did, and I get weepy whenever I tell this, which I've told many times, I, it, I was scary. It was almost like sort of being on the edge of a cliff in the dark and just falling over it without knowing if it was a thousand feet or three feet to the bottom, it was a really scary thing to do. But the moment I did, I felt an incredible sense of peace. Mm. And um, uh, I applied for more college the next day. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> I went in and saw a guy by the name of Peter Jensen, who was the principal at the time. I said to Peter, I remember, my wife came with me, and I remember saying to Peter, um, I told him that I'd done some spiritual stuff before and I said if if this Christianity was what I understand to be this liberal Christianity I don't think I would have bothered I think I must be a fundamentalist and Peter said to me he said Peter you're not a fundamentalist you're an evangelical and I've been an evangelical ever since but I'd never heard the term before I applied for more college um, I was actually accepted as a candidate, um, but then, and people told me if I'd been accepted as a candidate, this was just a few months after I'd become a Christian, it was automatic to get into more college candidate for. Um, but I, I 
didn't get into at Moore College. They said no. You, uh, I came out. I think that I hadn't been a Christian for very long, and they said no. But come again next year. So I applied next year and got in. I, I remember Peter. No, who was it? Someone was asking me. I was interesting. One one guy said to me, he "said Peter, what makes you think we should should change all the all the principles we have here about?" not letting people who've been Christians for a short period of time in and people of your age coming in. What makes you think that we should change just to let you in? And I said to him, um, I'm not... Um, he was quite aggressive and I was... <laughs> and I said to him, I'm, I'm not. I just... I have to apply because I felt that I had to for peace of mind. Mm. And uh, I said, that's up to you. And he was nice to me from then on. Because some people go into more college and sort of with the expectation that um, it would be rubber stamped because they'd had a calling kind of thing. And he oh, was wary of me do being that. Then it was actually Peter Jensen because they interviewed you. You got interviewed um, by five, by a pair of people five times in the one day you went into an interview and you had five interviews with different people from more college lecturers in the diocese. Um, people in the diocese. Peter Jensen actually was who asked me, what did Christ do for you and what did Christ do in you? And I was sort of saying, well, he's, you know, he's changed my life and I've a sense of peace. And, and eventually he said, um, no, that's not what I mean, that's in you. What did he do for you? Mm. And eventually it clicked. And I said, he died for my sins. And I started to weep. And I went and told my friend afterwards that, um, who was at Moore College and a student who was the ones that came to dinner that night previously, what had happened. And he said, oh, you're in. If you can cry because Jesus died for your sins. <laughs> You've nailed it. <laughs> You've nailed it. <laughs> Rubber stamp. <laughs> You'll get in. So um, they accepted me for Moore College. I found it uh, very... I found everybody else, I was the youngest Christian in my year, the second oldest person in my year, there were two older than me, but I was here. one was a missionary, another um, um, has gone to glory. Uh, but um, I felt the very much like everybody else was way ahead of me in their Christian mm. understanding. Uh, biblical theology was... Um, was something that really opened my eyes when I began to see how the whole of the Bible held together. I didn't picture, know yeah. that. If you do the PTC or something like that, you learn that. Because mm. I'd not been to... Uh, I started... Uh, just after I became a Christian, The uh, John Campbell, in his wisdom, let me teach Scripture and Sunday school. And of scripture classes, there was one person who was <laughs> there was one person who was learning stuff because I was learning it the night before and then <laughs> teaching, <laughs> and I, that was a great way to learn. Yeah, uh, the the Anglican scripture lessons were fantastic, mm. and uh, I was teaching Sunday school as well. Mm. I think Pete and Dave Crawshaw have a similar story. They became Christians, then a couple of weeks later they were asked to do Sunday yes, school. Yes, I think I've yeah. talked to them mm. about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, but I had not. I only went to one Bible study because I was running a business and trying to sell them. Because I was supposed to be heading for more college, college, and I had three restaurants that I was wanting to 
cell and they would keep me busy anyway. But I didn't really go to a Bible study. In fact, the only Bible study I'd been to was um, before I was a Christian uh, in the rectory in Cronulla. And I was, uh, I remember sort of questioning um, uh, the, the passage where David is told that his son would be um, the two, 2 Samuel 7, isn't it? Um, the passage where he is told that his son will build a house for him. And um, I questioned as to whether or not that was a reference to Jesus or not kind of thing because I wasn't a Christian at the time. It's interesting, the second Bible study I ever went to because I didn't when I was when I was at Moore College. I was actually running. So this, I'd only ever been to one Bible study before I started leading by Bible studies after I was ordained, and I wasn't a Christian at that uh, first Bible study. Yeah, right. I remember um, uh, one of my chaplains when I was in third year. You could leave at the end of third year and didn't have to do fourth year at that time, and. Um, Robert Doyle, who comes to this church, was my chaplain at the time. And Robert said to me, Peter, have you considered the fact that you might do a fourth year at college? You don't have to, and we were running out of money, so that was a problem. But um, I think four years of training and 19 years in ministry before you retire at 65, which I didn't, but anyway... um, and three years and, and 20 years of, I think, considered doing four years of training and 19 years of ministry rather than... Um, and I'd, after a long kind of struggle of finances and things like that, I, I took his advice and stayed on for for fourth year. And that was um, Robert Doyle who... Mm. Um, he on Sunday morning, I think, at this church. He goes to yes. this church on yeah, Sunday morning. So Robert... Yeah. I don't know if he'd even remember that, but oh. he uh, he prompted me to do four. And I really felt I kind of caught up in fourth year. I, mm. I felt the whole way through college I was... I got a C- minus for my first essay on the kingdom of God. And, it's not um, to start off with, though. C-. <laughs> I thought it was... <laughs> well, I actually questioned it with that. I said, well, I thought it was quite a well-written essay, but it wasn't mm. very biblical. <laughs> And I was like lucky to get it in hindsight, but at the time I thought it was a well-written essay and mm. worth a lot more than that. I thought mm. it was an essay, but um, the philosophical. I gradually improved throughout the year. In fact, in my final year, I actually got an A plus hey. for uh, an essay on on the Song of Solomon's. Oh, nice! <laughs> that uh, the only A plus I ever got. But my gradually my my marks improved from A's and B's to. But of C's and B's to A's as I worked my way through college mm. in uh, in essays and uh, things, and that was given to me by um, oh, his name's jumped out of my head. One of the guys that lived in Bundina. Oh, and when he heard that someone told him I was moving out there, I went across there, and uh, and he's now and he was the one that taught me biblical theology, and his name's jumped out of my head. That's okay. Which is, uh, it'll come to me shortly. No, must, well. must not have been that good a teacher. <laughs> no, no, he's an excellent teacher. He's written lots of commentaries and things that I have. And um, happens as you get older, names yeah. jump out of it's my head. It's already happening. It's already happening? Yeah. Yeah, terrible with names. <laughs> yeah, it does get a bit. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, 
There's a lot to unpack there, which is, excites me. One question I was going to ask you, though, you said that you started looking like at spiritual things from the age of 12 to 13. And, you know, you kind of think of that time in the 60s where there was like the Beatles were doing the whole yeah. spiritual thing. I know that even like Led Zeppelin, my favourite band, were doing stuff like that. They were travelling to India and trying to get different experiences. What do you think in the 60s at that time there was yourself and other people looking for that perhaps spiritual experience or different spiritual experiences? It was uh, the baby boomer era and I was the f- first of the baby boomers kind of things, born in 46. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a great change that was taking place mm-hmm. from our parents who'd lived through a depression and a war. Yep. Mm. And we were, the 60s was uh, just a time of prosperity, a time of make love not war kind of ideas that were being um, pervade. Um, we thought it was an exciting exciting time to be, um, to be living in. And there was um, just that real sense of, of freedom where you could go to university and study philosophy and you know, do what you like kind of thing. There was no fear that you wouldn't get a job afterwards. It was uh, a time of prosperity after a time of, of our parents had lived through depression and, and war yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Was, yeah, you had World War One depression, then another World War. Yeah, well, my like parents were born my, yeah, just at the end of World, World, World War One, but they lived through the depression as children and as my father was, you know, a pilot in the war kind of things. Was he? Yeah, um, in a s- d- uh, flying out of Darwin and 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 uh, Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah right. Wow, pilot. Mm. Um, yeah, so very different kind mm. of upbringing that we baby boomers had. The from huge the cultural shift. Right? Huge cultural yeah. shift that came place there it was a. It was seen at the time to be something of a golden age. You know. Like a kind of like an awakening from the the dark times of what yeah, you were just talking about. Yeah, very about. much so. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I think that was what was going on then. Mm. That's crazy. And so, what do you, like you said, you became a Christian at 40. What do you think you were looking for all that time prior? Because you said you felt at peace when you became a Christian. I did. And uh, I think it's a great, what was I looking for? Um, I was, uh, people that are on spiritual paths are usually looking for power over others. Or they're looking for uh, heightened experiences, mm. such as the whirling dervish kind of thing. Mm. Um, I saw myself as being uh, someone who was free, that I could do whatever I wanted, and I, and that was a little bit 1960s kind of um, idea kind of thing, and so I would do spontaneous things. I realised when I became a Christian that real freedom, and Paul talks about this at the end of Galatians, once you accept Christ as your Lord, then you're free. Mm. And prior to that, you are a slave to sin. Mm. And it was amazingly when I did accept Christ as my Saviour and the Lord, I felt that sense of peace and extraordinary sense of freedom. Mm. Uh, And I did really have that sense of being no longer bound and restricted in a way that I, I really hadn't understood until I, I was freed from it by the, by the work of the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. So like with the 60s and the experiences you were looking for, you were looking for f- freedom but you didn't find the true freedom until you became a Christian? Is that? 
I thought Am I was I free. Right? I thought it, yes. I thought I was free. Yeah. But I, I came to realise um, quite extraordinarily when you accept Christ as Lord, that's, that's the way to freedom, which is paradoxical, I think, and hard to understand if you haven't experienced it. Mm. Mm. And did you grow up in the Shire? Mostly, no. I was. Of, I was you had a few references the, of the Shire, but no. I was brought up um, on the land in just outside of Canberra on a sheep, wheat, cattle okay. station, which now is Canberra. Okay, right. It's expanded um, that far. Oh yeah, and far beyond. Mm-hmm. We were about three miles outside of the edge of Canberra, uh, out towards the Cotter River. Um, I used to catch the Stromlo Mount Stromlo Observatory was there. Have you heard of that? It was uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, it was an observatory on the way out there, and the, I used to catch the the Stromlo bus with the uh, astronomers' kids <laughs> into, into school every day, and walk Is there a, a lot of them? and the walk a half kids? mile after school. I'd walk a half mile up the up our driveway, driveway. <laughs> uh, bringing home. him back um, yeah okay I was just actually uh, looking on the map but yeah I know what you mean and it's it's the area is called Western Creek if you know yep. um, if you know um, Canberra at all you may know there's a number of suburbs called Western Creek well our property was Western and Western Creek throw, flowed through our property it was out uh, the road went out from Yarralumlin and you went past the turn off to Government House yep you went past the uh only Canberra sewerage at that time and you were getting out towards Mount Stromlo and then you turned left and uh, got off the bus and walked up to the homestead. Oh, what a great name homestead is. There's still a, there's still a site there where it says the homestead is and there's got a couple of photographs up there and there's a photograph there of my, of my father receiving a, an award for some um, uh, wheat prize that oh. it won <laughs> and then another photograph there of of some sheep going along the Cotter Road to the wool shed in Yarralumla and a picture of my sister and I on horseback um, at the I would have been about I don't know, 12 or something like that taking the sheep which was one of my favourite activities um, when we, we had shearing and we would take a number of mobs of sheep up to along the Cotter Road to the shearing shed, and there's a, a photograph that only my sister and I would recognise us, but that's us mm-hmm. on the on our horses. Um, so, was your desire to seek experiences just caused by not wanting to be a farmer? <laughs> I know I feel I like suffered that from, picture is I not what from ex- Well, I'm a bit torn on that. Um, my, where the property got taken over because it's all leasehold in Canberra, not freehold, and right. uh, but my father was um, rec- he got rec- um, recompense for all of the improvements you've made on the fencing and the superphosphate and the pine trees and everything else and he took me out on the other side of Lake George one day and and we looked at a property there and he was thinking of buying it and if I'd said that I was going to um, take it over take take it over he would have bought that Um, one of the things I suffered from was extreme um, hay fever my eyes would close and I'd just stream and things. Wow. So, um, and uh, I, um, there was a part of me that wanted to stay on the land and still still feels amiss a little bit, but I, it wasn't for me, but part of me hmm. wanted to. Yeah, okay. But not a big enough part. Okay. To seek a few more things. Before so I went off at the end. Uh, before the property was taken over, I... 
worked in the public service for just over a year and uh, in the Department of Territories, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we were main, main, we had six territories. The main one was Papua New Guinea, and we don't have that anymore, so the department is, no longer exists. Okay. <laughs> Been absorbed into the Department of Interior and the Department of External Affairs. Oh. Sounds like you know the, uh, the what do you call that? The, um, the word's gone out of my head. Talk about forgetting things. <laughs> I've just forgotten the entire word of. Anyway, well, let's move on. Um, and then I moved over to, and I spent uh, seven years in England. So oh, when I was, um, okay. Because there's so much in your life, Pete. Well, I've been alive. Why did you I've go? I've been alive longer than you have, you see. So. It's true, just a couple of years. A couple of years, uh, yeah. What did you do? Far more stories than we have. I know, right? We're just like <laughs> weirdos that stayed in the Shire. Maybe we should have our own spiritual experiences. <laughs> And then come back. Um, I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary of my sort of testimony because people sort of, um, it's a bit odd, perhaps. And um, whenever anyone gets saved, it's it's just a, a wonderful, mm. yeah, it's wonderful powerful. story. And uh, I don't think people tell me that people tell me sometimes oh, my my story is so boring, and I think I've never heard a boring. That's right. Story. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You can see how. Yeah. Like yourself or other people, how God works in yeah. everyone's lives yeah. so differently. Well, there's God's grace extends even to sinners like me. Yeah, that's right. all of us, mm. not just not just you. No, 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 I'm all of us. Yeah. Uh, give us a quick. Can you give us a brief overview of why you went to England for seven years? Uh, yeah, I wanted to get out of Australia was one thing, and I also had, um, started doing a lot of um, theatre work and things like that. So I went over there and I applied for the. Uh, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, okay. and um, I studied there for 1968 to 1970. I was at the Royal Academy, right, and worked. Then uh, started working as a, in theatre, acting in England, and then back here. In the um, came back in s- right at the end of 1974 and worked here for a for a while. I worked in. State theatre companies in Old Tote, state theatre companies in New South Wales, in Sydney, Melbourne, South Australia, um, Adelaide, Tasmania, as well as some other companies and things. I worked for a few years back here in uh, mostly theatre, but TV, um, radio, movies. So you were on TV? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> what sh- what shows were you in? <laughs> Country practice? That's you know, what you I s- was going to say. <laughs> you know, you said uh, there were things that, uh, you know, that if I didn't Be- want to answer unsaid. the question, they were... <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. You don't want to say that? Okay. I fine. will tell you. Um, the first thing I did when I came back here was a show called Number 96. Okay. Which was... Heard of it? No. I'm looking oh, it, it up right now. it was one of the first and it was... Um, it was a bit outrageous, nudity and all those. I was going to say, and I had to. Uh, I played a. Um, oh, it broke ground for introducing controversial subject matter yeah. because of its yeah. risque content. Yeah, I'd never, Ooh. I'd never heard it. Can we cut that from the <laughs> podcast? Uh, and I played. Uh, you might cut this as well. I played to someone who had uh, committed incest with his sister. <laughs> Oh, wow. And one of the main characters there, I was had to, uh, oh, I had to 
try and no, he was going to stab me with a knife, and I was trained as a serious actor. And I went up and I said to the guy, because it was all sort of done, and I said, uh, "We've got to have this knife wrestle kind of thing. Can we rehearse it?" And he said, "Aye, oh, if you want it, kind of thing." And he put my hand up. Uh, he put his hand up like that, and he, oh no, he grabbed my hand, and we did it. Eh, that'll do, kind of thing. And then we filmed it. Wow. So it was kind of. <laughs> I thought that's. Uh, well, I didn't know. Ad-hoc. I'd never heard of number ninety six, and my agent. I said, "What is it?" And she said, "Oh, well, you know, just a show. Just a show. I'll just a, do it. So just a I new was, drama." Yeah. It, um, that was the first. Tell you what, there's a few episodes on YouTube. <laughs> we have we can a, watch those later. Yeah, we'll have a watch. We'll have a watch party <laughs> after this. Goodness me! I, I think you'll have trouble finding it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> What's the? He just had them removed from every <laughs> platform. <laughs> What's the? Um, I was in a uh, ABC show uh, called Kirby's Company. That was probably only did one season of it. It followed a f- show that was quite well known called Certain Women. When that closed, they ABC did Kirby's Company, and I played one of the um, one of the Kirby brothers, um, and. Um, who was my? I can't remember the name. My elder, my no, I was the eldest of the three brothers. My youngest brother was a guy called Tom Berlinson. No, Tom, that man from a snowy very river. Familiar. Man from a snowy river. Oh, may have heard of it. Things yeah. like that. So he went on to have a long career in yeah. things. And I, who also was in it, Willie Fennell, who was a famous radio actor, but you probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't know him. This is a new one, is it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> it is. It does look rather risque for the 1970s. Sabrina, um, she was a big busted and very famous. <laughs> I think that might be Sabrina. Famous in it, one of the. Yeah, right. It's it's all happening on this show. When did it's you meet Lynn? And white. When I came back from. Um, Tasmania, after working at the Tasmanian Theatre Company. Oh, I didn't even know you were in Tasmania. Yeah, he mentioned. I heard Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney, Melbourne, I Adelaide, Tasmania. Okay, I just missed that. Sorry. <laughs> I was watching number 96. <laughs> <laughs> Try and find you. I'm trying to find you. Uh, sorry, yes, where did you well, When I came back from uh, Tasmania, I didn't have anywhere to live. And in those days, you would look up an ad in the Sydney Morning Herald. Mm. There was no internet in those days. Oh, really? And uh, I went for we're, an interview. We're that old to know that <laughs> what it was like before the internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just check, just checking. <laughs> and um, I went uh, for um, for an interview uh, in a house in Paddington, Shadforth Street, Paddington. And uh, there were two girls wanted a guy to share the house with them. And they, Lynn, my wife, was living next door, and they'd invited her to. Um, be on the uh, interview panel. And so I met ah. her and she became my next door neighbour and we became friends. Uh, and just, um, she was a student uh, at New South Wales Uni. And um, we got to know each other and just became friends and talked. And my wife says I've never taken her on a date, uh, <laughs> ever. Uh, <laughs> ever. And... Um, but she, uh, yeah, she was a girl next door and we, we just became good friends. And then we sort of started dating and, um, and finished up 
getting married. I was wanting to go off to America and do this course, and I wanted her to come with me. Oh, in West Virginia? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said, yes, if you marry me. Wow. She might want to come on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) With a bit of beef. (laughs) You can Amanda uh, and Lynn on the same (laughs) podcast, maybe, Pete. So that was, you went over to the States, like, when you had just been married. It's a honeymoon. Yeah. Wow. Lynn had, took a son with her. Lynn had a son. So he was five. We adopted him. Lynn wouldn't marry me unless I adopted um, our son. I like Lynn. He's now Lynn an Anglican sounds minister. sounds like she's got some good... Is he really? Um, wow. And, um, yeah, she had to adopt him too because I couldn't adopt him on my own, so she had to adopt her own son. That sounds... Sounds odd. Silly, but <laughs> okay. Sound, well, we're hard to adopt at all these days. Mm. Mm. But, um, yeah. And so we went across the, the States for a year, fairly soon after we'd been married. Mm. Yeah. Not Christians at the time. Mm. Some years off coming to Christ. Was, Was that moment at the table doing explosive Evangelism. <laughs> what was it? Evangelism, evangelism explosion. explosion. <laughs> Explosive evangelism. <laughs> Become a Christian or we'll blow you up. As anyone who was around in the eighties <laughs> anyone who was around in the eighties would remember we'll know that. What it was, that is. It was yeah. quite a lot of churches. I'm, I'm just laughing at the name. I should, should, is, should had Lynn it. already become a Christian at that point? When? Prior to that conversation around the table? Was that kind the, of a, the, the conversation the I have with Lynn as to whether or not she sort of came to Christ or whether or not she was the prodigal returning at that yeah, kind of okay. time? And mm-hmm. um, uh, when uh, she actually, those words came out of her mouth and mm. nearly knocked me off my seat, I nearly fell off my seat. I found out much, much later that she was as surprised as I was when was those words similar. came out of her mouth. Yeah, yeah right. She was thinking uh, a bit. Similarly to me, how am I going to answer this question? Am I how polite? I was thinking, how polite am I going to be to these people? And mm. you know, because I wasn't always. Mm. And um, but they were nice people, um, and <laughs> still are. <laughs> They're um, retired now over in uh, Western Australia. He was um, the dean of um, Northwestern Australia from the end of his at the in his ministry. Amongst other things. Um, what was the question? We were talking about oh, Lynn, Lynn, whether she was a, when she was. Yeah, a yeah so she was. Yeah. It was a recall. It was a. She was a surprise. She told me months, months, if not years later, that she was as surprised as I was when she said that. But the moment she said it, she was. The spirit was at work. Mm. Holy Spirit was at work in her, and she was renewed. <laughs> Recreated. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like we need to keep delving into a number of things that you revealed. (laughs) You said that you own three restaurants? Yeah, called Grumbles. Grumbles? Grumbles. Grumbles Kitchen. Wow. And what uh, kind of fare did they serve? There was uh, the change in in Australian cuisine was happening about that time and we were running cafes – mainly lunchtime kind of cafes that you have now for lunches and we were serving things like quiche and carrot cake and um, 
Is that it? Um, fish, fish and carrot cake? Oh, various other things. Okay. Like I'm trying to... So you were very narrow, like really narrow product line. Um, no, no, no. We, we had quite a variety of stuff. It was a bit whole foody, um, yeah, nice. kind of not not um, veg, veg, strictly vegetarian by any means. But we tended to use. Um, um, I think we used um, wholemeal flour and a lot of those kind of things. Not religiously, but. Um, were you making all of the food? At first I was. Lynn, would, Lynn did it at first, but then she got pregnant, which she, and then passed it over to me, and I'd be on the phone saying, how many spoonfuls of sugar, sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, for a while, and I did until we started, um, then we started expanding. We had three of them. That was the first one was in Cronulla Mall. Um, this is in the 80s, just after we'd come back from America, and Lynn wanted me to quit acting um, she didn't like me being in the acting profession and so um, and it wasn't it wasn't um, as you're starting to have children it was um, it wasn't a very um, reliable profession for mm. most people not a reliable source of income not a reliable source of income and, uh, and there was a lot of travel I travelled overseas a couple of times I was travelling interstate quite a lot um, she didn't like that either and she didn't like the uh, she had three reasons the other one was that she didn't um, trust some of the flirtatious women mm. that were uh, she's thought were in the she must have been an attractive productions. Must be, uh, still are an attractive man <laughs> I don't think you had to be particularly uh, oh. back in the Back in the sixties and seventies, sounds the, like I'd, I'd much rather grow up in the theatre world. Just a heartbeat. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, really, really. It sounds. I mean, people think that I had an exciting life and things like that. My life began when I came to Christ. Mm. Mm. I was a tortured soul. Um, yeah, probably that's not an exaggeration. Mm. And there was a tremendous relief mm. and a sense of peace and joy and. And the moment I gave my life to Christ, I felt as um, God's love, and it was quite an extraordinary experience. And I felt felt that sense of peace and God's love surrounding me, and it's never left me. Just because you you said before that you, when you applied to go to more college and got in, you had to sell the restaurants to be able to kind of. I'm guessing it's kind of fun still, going to more college. Still had one when I was in first year. In fact, our chef resigned, um, and as chefs do, and I had to come and... Chefs do do that. I had to come out here at sort of four in the morning and do the cooking, and staff came in about 7.30 or something, and I'd hand over to them and slip back to Newtown to go to chapel wow. at uh, 8.30, I think. I had to do that for about six weeks till I finally... Managed to sell it. Got an exit, as they like to call it these days. Yeah, you got the you got the exit out of your business. It's, it's I'm just being dumb. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, still had one when I was in first year at college. Mm. Um, Is that why you were doing the seven working seven days a week because you had the cafe? Uh, because I had a cafe and it was seven days a week, and we had no experience of really um, business or of restauranting and. Mm. Um, uh, Lynn was the brains and I was the brawn. 
the, the world that I was working long hours, yep. yeah. long hours, 14 hour days, and I got two days off in the first year, um, seven days a week. Even when we were going to church, I was um, going to the restaurant first and just checking things were right, then coming back and going to church and then checking it again. But by, by that stage, I, we had three of them and I was employing. We had about 25, 30 staff and employing chefs to do that. So my role became very different. Mm. I was uh, cook and chief bottle washer in, in the early days. And Wendy, who she finished up um, working for the Department of Evangelism. Oh. And, um, for quite some time. Do you, would you describe her evangelism as explosive? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, no, she was she was um, uh, she was a very um, fine young woman, and is now a very fine, not so young woman. Yeah, <laughs> with grown up children. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you went to Bible college, and you gradually got better marks, which is great. I'm assuming that you became a minister after that. I did, yeah. So what was the story there? Like where did you get placed after that? I was the assistant minister at Narrabeen for two and a half years. Um, and then I got appointed director of Bulleye and I was there for 11 years and we our kids grew up there. Well, four of them went through secondary went through the schooling, finished schooling there. Then we went off as missionaries to Southeast Asia for a spell. Just, uh, sorry, my reaction there is that you just keep dropping all this extra information. Like, what like, haven't you done? <laughs> it's unreal that like you've acting, Bible college, owned a business, then went mission. to South, Southeast Asia on mission. It's pretty impressive. Well, I'm impressed yeah, it's, anyway. Yeah, it's... it's it sounds more glamorous than perhaps it was. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying just, it's look, glamorous. Are, uh, Lynn and I are, are just people that are fairly kind of flexible and we... Mm. we um, 11 years in Bulleye was the longest that either of us had ever lived anywhere, I think. Um, when we came back from uh, the CMS uh, missionaries in uh, Southeast Asia, we... I spent five years as act, moving around to acting as an acting rector um, in various different uh, parishes, which was an interesting experience. Went out to uh, just uh, Moorbank, um, Marrickville for two years. That was the longest one I did. Uh, South Carlton, um, Vaucluse, um, Balmain, Darling Street, uh, the five places that I was at. And Lynn was a bit tired of moving house and things mm. like that. So I got offered I the senior assistant position at uh, Cronulla. Right. Because um, I was just turning 65 when we came back from um, as missionaries because we went late uh, when the kids had sort of grown up. Took one with us, the kid. And then I did five years of being an acting rector and then uh, got appointed or asked to be the assistant minister at Cronulla where I'd become to come to Christ. Mm many years beforehand and uh, supported us in our mission work and things. So I spent six years there until the 
beginning of last year mm. when uh, I finished up and we moved out to Moomba. You'd come full, kind of came full circle with that. Yeah, back to Granada. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was it. Um, you mentioned the number. We talked about Lynn, but can you tell us about the rest of your family, like mm. your, your kids and how many they are? And got six kids. Uh, Jacob's the eldest, and he's about eight years older than the next one. Uh, Rebecca is, uh, has lived in Melbourne for some time, but now has living with us in our house. Has come up um, and. She and her husband and two kids have been living with us since just before Christmas, which is really nice. Um, and uh, we're kind of building the site sort of with the idea of having multi-generational um, a family mm. living with us there. Yeah, that's cool. So we've got a secondary dwelling that we're completing uh, soon, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um my n- that's my second child. My second, my third son lives in Main Bar, just five minutes walk away from us. He's got two kids. He's the, we have a company, um, Allied Health Company. My wife's a psychologist and okay. she's still working very much full time. That's a company we own with our, with our son. He's our CEO and it's, we employ a lot of um, psychologists and, uh, we have um, um, social workers and speech therapists and mm. um, various other professional in the health industry who work for us. We've got a number of different centres. Uh, I work. I have worked for it um, as a. Um, I'm a workplace mediator, federally. I've done some of that and also some marriage counselling. I've uh, done with us. I'm not doing that now. But I do work as uh, NDIS support worker, okay. one day a week on Thursdays. So I was. Um <laughs> I'm so fascinated, Peter. By mm. it. it's incredible. That's a vast array of skills. Yeah, God has um, used you in many different ways. Mm. Yeah, sounds more exciting than. <laughs> Oh, you say that all the time. <laughs> you keep saying that. But the no. most exciting thing is being being in Christ. Yes. Yeah, okay. yes. That's that just, uh, all the rest is, um, yeah. So before Mandy interrupted. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> no, before Mandy interrupted, I was just going to say, do you want to finish telling us about your family? Yeah. Because that's, that's what you Oh, uh, yeah. My, um, my uh, f- fourth child is... Um, a carpenter, and he's the one that's kind of really. I'm an owner builder, but he's the one that's uh, was going to be doing his building course, and I needed to become an owner builder so he could work on it. And uh, he works in a company that with his the second son, who who's the kind of project manager for our build. And my so my third son is the site manager, and my and carpenter, and the. Fourth son is the project manager, and they have a company that uh, that builds temporary structures. Oh, okay. Uh, they build uh, amazing what they do, um, but they had for the uh, World Cup, they had a number of different projects of things that they were building. They build temporary structures. Sometimes these things cost. They built um, the Shakespeare um, theatre in the round. Are you aware oh. of that being there? They. They put that together. Okay. Um, 
and then take it apart and take it across to Perth and put it up again. So that does that. They, they, um, they've worked overseas. Both of them worked on the European Games a few years ago in Azerbaijan and uh, just building a, uh, a uh, what I, the, the largest revolving stage, I think, that had been built in sort of various... These are things that are only up for a few days and yeah. they mm-hmm. cost millions yeah. for you know, champagne companies and mm-hmm. fashion shows and things like that. So they do a lot of that. So they're both... Um, uh, for some of them, I've got ten grandchildren. Uh, the eldest is only two years younger than my youngest daughter. I think he's twenty-six. He's uh, he's a carpenter. Um, Hang on, what about child we, number five? And yeah, child yeah. number five. <laughs> it, no, hang on. What about it's? Uh, no, no, I think fourth son is fourth fifth, son is his fifth child. I think uh, my th- oh. my third son is the uh, CEO of our company. Yes. My fourth and fifth children are the um, work in that company temporary that I was bu- talking temporary about. Builders. Yeah, and we my f- one. my Let's fifth, uh, my sixth child, who's quite a bit younger than the middle four, who are just two years apart. I think she's twenty-eight. She also works for the company as one of our area managers. Oh, wow. okay. For the Allied Health Company. For the Allied Health. We've got about a uh, hundred staff. Oh. It's quite a large. Yeah, right. It's grown under my son's. Uh, it was sort of he developed my my wife's business. She had one psychologist working for her and a few interns and and um, but since he joined he just joined us. It's sort of built. Mm. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah, very cool. Good on him. Uh, what has God taught you? I ask everyone who's a parent on this podcast, what has God taught you about being a father or through being a father? I've, um, I'd almost like time for that question kind of thing, I think, like that. I mean, uh, just uh, many thoughts are flooding my mind at the moment. Just the wonderful experience of, of knowing God as your father and being there and him being the perfect father and uh, and really uh, how much uh, a Trinitarian God is kind of part of our lives and uh, the role that the, the, the father has and the role that, that I have as being a very imperfect father, which I... Which I have been, and I think in many ways I wasn't the greatest father. I think my wife would certainly say I probably spent too much time and energy being a minister and not enough prioritizing my family. That my family, I didn't get that balance right. Um, I'm, if in a way, I think trying at the moment to make up for my, I think my imperfections as a father my kids would be more generous than I am um, but I um, now that I see myself as still being my father even to my 50 year old son um, and being a grandfather are kind of things that I see as um, being available to my kids you never stop being a father 
even to when your kids have the eldest is fifty and the youngest is twenty eight and the others are around around four the forty mark. One's forty today. Oh. Happy um, birthday. Um so what's God taught me about what does being a Christian taught me about being a father? Um it's taught me a lot about being a husband, I would say. And one of the things that I do remember reading a lot of books, and I'm just, it just got me uh, scattering around a little bit, but I do remember coming home when I was working long hours and having my kids would jump on me and I'd carry about three or four of them into the, into the house and sort of cuddle them and things like that. And I do remember reading some books on fatherhood and um, saying in which you should always let your kids know that your wife comes first. Mm. And I was convicted that, of that at, um, when I would come in with the kids all over me and things and they'd say, what about me? And I'd say, hang on a minute, you're an adult, you can wait, I'll come and kiss you and, and just, but you can wait two minutes and they're, they're young. Um, when I did that, I, I, and this is just um, a demonstration of I think a much broader thing, I started saying to my kids, hang on, I've got to say, I've got to greet your mother first. I'll be with you in a minute. And so I, I learned something that the greatest gift that a man can give his children is to love their mother. Mm. And that is something that I think um, I got from reading a lot of Christian books about um, marriage and uh, and about um, parenting. Lynn and I used to run the marriage courses for the Anglican Diocese in this region when we were at Bulleye, because uh, Lynn was a psychologist and we finished up running about four day-long courses a year, I think, for about eight or ten years for couple preparation for marriage kind of thing. And um, yeah, what's it taught me? Just to just becoming a Christian has taught me that um, the real secret to to loving um, the real secret to life is not to be the self-centered person I was but real joy comes from obeying the command to love God first and, and to love her, love your neighbor as yourself and to, and really to to love and care for your family. The other thing I've learned too is I think it's really important to teach your children about God first and that's something I've always done with my children is to pray with them, mm. to spend time with them, to read the Bible to them when they were they're young and to, to point them at, at uh, God and that was something I, I did on a regular basis or even when I was working kind of uh, long hours. Um, Yeah, and to teach them that uh, the secret to life is to is to know God and to and to love Him and to 
and to to love others. Mm. And to understand too, I think that uh, very much that um, church family and the priority of... And that's one of the things I struggle with at the moment sometimes is because not all my... But all of my children are actively attending church mm. and just to prioritise for them um, how important your church family is. And that's one of the things I struggle with on because I go to two churches. I go to the Bundina church on a Sunday morning with my wife and I come here on Saturday night and Saturday night is... My son's 40th birthday party was last Saturday night and I wasn't in church kind okay. of thing. And I I don't like missing church. Um, and I did and I do at various times when it kind of clashes. I mean, I, I, I usually get to one of the two churches on a, <laughs> on a Sunday kind of thing. But um, yeah, have I answered the question? Not I very so. well. Mm. Very well, actually. Uh, the, the other thing that I wanted to delve into or to come back to was you spoke about your dad becoming a Christian just before he passed away. Did you have, a, like, a, obviously God was God was the, the main protagonist in that, but you obviously must have had some influence on it. I talked about that. My father became a Christian five weeks before he died. Mm. Um, he was down in Canberra and he was going in for a bowel operation to cut some of his bowel out and I went down to Canberra to see him before the operation and I went in early because I was told he was first on the list. He wasn't. And uh, he was last on the list and I spent the day with him. Uh That's the longest time I think I've ever spent with my father. And I got in there about 8 o'clock and about uh, midday, uh, I will get teary here, um, by the grace of God I was able to lead him to Christ. Mm five weeks before he's died because my parents were sort of upset with me when I got rid of the businesses, not selling them for as much money as they were worth and went in to become a student with, at the time, five kids. Yep. They thought I was nuts and yep. um, I was more like... Uh, they were not happy with me and thought I was being irresponsible with money and all sorts of things and thought we were fanatical Christians kind of things because we did more than <laughs> get baptised and, mm. and uh, married. and More than MBF. Yeah. More than the MBFs. <laughs> <laughs> Bad enough to become... <laughs> I love my parents. Um, mm. So my dad became a Christian five weeks before he died and he talked about it afterwards. He remembered it and um, I believe I'll see him in, in heaven. My, my father-in-law, who was quite anti... Um, anti-Christian, uh, had issues with God from typically as a talk about this I guess um, I'll tell my wife whether I that I told you about this and I'll ring you up and tell you if she's happy for it to stay in or not You're very welcome to yep. But um, he turned away from God when he prayed for his mother to be relieved of some suffering and God didn't answer his prayers as a teenager and he came to the, and he, <clears throat> we would often talk about Christianity. I remember once uh, being at his house in Cronulla. They lived in Cronulla, where Lynn was raised, Janali first and then Cronulla. She's a shy girl. Mm-hmm. 
and um, he said to me, oh, Peter, why don't we go out the front and sit down and have a beer and you can try and convert me? <laughs> and I said to him, oh, look, the Bible verse for today is, thou shalt not cast thy pearls before swine, uh, John. Let's go out the front and just have a beer. Have a beer. <laughs> I'd talked to him many times about And he'd come close, it would seem. And um, just before, he was very sick in a nursing home. And by the grace of God, um, again, I was allowed to lead him to Christ. Mm. Um, These are two of the greatest days of my life. Absolutely. Five days before he died and and the day before he slipped into a coma. Mm. And he went through a lot of, um, a very difficult time over the next three or four days. He was obviously in a lot of pain, but in a coma kind of thing. And I think the Lord wasn't quite ready for him. He got some. He went through some sort of um, preparation process for heaven beforehand. But I believe he's uh, he gave his life to Christ. He'll be there too. He'll be there too. My mother died. Lived to just over a hundred. And oh. she slipped into, was bedridden for many years and, and also then slipped into dementia. And I think that when she was suffering from quite severe dementia, again, I had many times sort of tried to talk the gospel to her and she would not let me get out half a sentence. Oh, Peter, don't give me that stuff kind of thing. I believe that God's dementia was... Her having dementia was removed some of the intellectual things she had to it, and she came to Christ. Whether or not she remembered it 30 seconds later or not, I don't know. But I'm pretty hopeful I'm going to see her in heaven as well. And mm. God used her dementia to remove Allow the blocks that, that were stopping her from oh, really see. giving her life to Christ. Right. That's my. Well. Was that the question? Was Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely was the question. <laughs> My wife's mother was a long-time Christian and wow. scripture teacher for 30 or 40 years or whatever. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So those were some of the best days of my life. Mm. Yeah, they would be. I can totally understand that. Uh, probably coming to a point where we should wrap up the podcast, but there's a... I'll let Amanda obviously have her turn to speak as well. But um, we just have the, the final question that we ask is uh, if, and it's going to be different to like to hear to most people like after hearing your story. What do you wish you knew? Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were a younger Christian? Now, often that question is asked when we were like I became a Christian when I was sixteen or seventeen, but you became a Christian at forty. So, what would be the answer to that? Um, I went to the first Billy Graham crusade in 59 in Canberra, Monica Oval, and I remember feeling the urge to move forward, but I was with my mother and father and my sister and uh, and they didn't and I didn't kind of thing. And I've often felt, you know, Lord, um, often wished that... Um, I'd become a Christian at the age of 11 or 12 or whatever I was, in 59, 13, I think it was, 12 or 13. Um, and I 
spent the first part of my life pursuing um, the desire for for happiness and I was a um, I was looking for meaning in life at the same time I was pretty hedonistic um, and uh, when I came to Christ which was a wrestle with God and I I really didn't want to do it a big part of me but when I finally did it was such a relief I felt such a lot of pressure come off me I've mm. experienced kind of a a peace and uh, and a sense of being loved by by God that I'd not imagined before, although I'd started to see it in others. Uh, these people who Christians who I thought had thought were idiots, and I had come to sort of admire um, even before I became a Christian. Mm. So, um, what was the question? What do you wish you knew? Some. What do you knew, What do you know now that you wish you knew as a younger Christian? Um. Just that um, freedom comes from knowing Christ as your Lord, which is a paradox, but and I think you've got to experience it to know it. Mm. Um, Paul in Galatians talks like that. Um, I wish I'd had a... Well, I wish I'd known Christ as some people do from... don't remember a time when they didn't know Christ. And I sometimes feel envious of those people. I think that, that having lived 40 years of my life without Christ does help me to understand the way that people who don't know, who are not Christians, the way they think. I know what it's like to... to I can remember what it's like to not be a Christian and it's... It's hell. <laughs> it's... it's um, when you come to Christ, you you enter into the kingdom of God, and it's it's born again. It's you're a new creation. It's um, the old is gone, and the new has come, mm. and um, it's uh, it's just to know Christ as your Lord and Savior has you so richly blessed in the. Being able to talk to God at any time, to have insight into the mind of God through reading the Bible, to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, to be part of a, a community that's worldwide, um, mm. and to have brothers and sisters in Christ in local communities as well like that, the, the blessings, to know that you're part of God's family for all eternity and have a great hope and future to look forward to with absolute confidence. Um, it's life-changing. Mm. I mean, totally life-changing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Pete. Uh, and did you, do you, do you have anything you want to wrap up the episode with? Um, there's so much. There's so much. But I think the conviction with how you express the true value of being a Christian and knowing Jesus is so powerful and there are so many people that we know who are wanting to find that freedom and mm. um, just to be reminded so powerfully that Jesus can change lives. Yeah, absolutely. 
and people that are so against him to begin with. That, yeah. That's what your story is. Yeah, well, I lived forty years of. without him. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. radical change, you know. And mm. the the Holy God Spirit was at work because I didn't. I was very resistant. It was mm. real wrestling with God mm. for six months from that dinner conversation where my wife <laughs> declared Christ as her mm. saviour. It was uh, a very uh, hard time. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Very encouraging. Yeah. It, very yeah, encouraging. that's what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Pete, for coming on. And I... Uh, uh, as we said earlier, this is why we do the podcast. Is because there's God works through His people in so many different ways. It's in, incalculable, <laughs> and we can't we can't imagine. But it shows His power. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, no story is ever boring. But your story is pretty, <laughs> pretty not boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always. Um, when I usually give it, I'm sort of sometimes don't give it in full because i'm not sure it's always helpful to uh, do that but well for me i disagree with that because i think it was extremely yeah, okay. helpful and i think yeah. well i think the conversion is even more not more power but like it's an example of god right yes it yeah. just it's a little truly unusual and i don't want people God's to feel power. that it's necessarily particularly special that's all every, oh, I see every, every yeah. conversion yeah. is yeah. special absolutely yeah. and absolutely. mine's a little bit Perhaps unusual, but yeah. it's no more special than anybody else's. Well, this no, is yeah. but I take it more as I think we all have someone in our life who we probably couldn't imagine being a Christian. Um, but what a really great reminder that God can change anyone's life, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that yeah, that's a really good way to finish it. God can change anyone's life. And your story is a perfect example of that. So thank you very much, Peter, for being on. I just realised you're wearing a Creation Made new hoodie. So thank you very much for. <laughs> for yeah, well, I like th- I like this. I like the actual. I've written. I've, I've written more sort of. I like this because it. People will ask you questions mm. about it. I think not that they have, but <laughs> they um, might. Yet. I, not my, yet. yet. Yeah. I do wear it a bit that yep. people can ask questions about it and it's less in your face than Jesus is Lord or something <laughs> like that kind of which yeah, that's cool. I've had t-shirts like that before and uh, quite like this it's a little bit subtle mm. well thank you as two people that are on the apparel team we appreciate you getting involved <laughs> no, I like that thank yeah. you very much and again like I said thank you very much for being on the podcast thank you to Amanda oh, for sitting in my pleasure it's been lovely privilege to be here it has been a privilege and it's a i'm sure it's all a privilege for you too who are listening or watching <laughs> our fans yes all of our fans um yeah drop a comment in on the youtube channel if peter's story has impacted you impacted you in any way because we'll have to keep talking about it and um peter we always finish with a one way at the end of a every every podcast episode do you know that from the 60s the one way it was keith green i believe and he used to say one way to actually point his any kind of fame that he thought he experienced to to god so there's one way one way to heaven <laughs> you look extremely confused slightly perplexed by, by what i'm saying comment. but uh think through, through christ and the cross yeah that's yes. right is that right did i get that right <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's how i got into more college by <laughs> it. 
You're like, I think they want me to say <laughs> this. That's right. Well, you've been approved. And, and I always <laughs> joke. I always joke with people. I'm never never quite uh, sure whether I. I actually wept. Yeah, when I got that right and they said that's how you got into more college but I'm never quite sure as I, whether I wept because Jesus died for me or because I got the question finally <laughs> understood the question oh, and, and what, what the right answer was <laughs> alright let's wrap it up with thanks a, Peter thank you Peter thank you Meadow yeah. one way one way one way